Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Ravens Brawl podcast, part of the Brawl Network. I'm your host, Dave Stonewall. Joe Schiller will be with us a little later. We got a great show for you. The Ravens coming off their big, big win over the New England Patriots. We'll talk about that, and we'll look ahead to their matchup with the winless Bengals on Sunday. But I'm very excited to bring in this guest. He does some great work, film study Ravens. Ken McCusick is with us. Ken, thank you so much for being on. Uh, gotta be feeling good after that Ravens win on Sunday. Yeah, this kind of game has a long afterglow, so it's uh, it's a good feeling. It makes for a very nice, comfortable week, Dave. Yeah. So before we get started, for people that don't know, you kind of give a little background about yourself and how you got into really doing the film analysis. Okay, it's been a long time coming. I went away to school to become a sportscaster in the early '80s, 1981, in fact, and uh, got my degree in broadcasting from Syracuse in '86. Decided I wasn't good enough to do it. Continued on, got a math degree, became an actuary for a career that's still going on. I do consulting work now, but I I quit my regular day job so I could write about football full-time at age 52. And that's been just a a great pleasure to me to uh, be able to do that. And uh, I I have a site you mentioned. It's it's actually filmstudybaltimore.com. You can follow me on Twitter at filmstudyravens. And uh, I've done for about... uh, 14 years now, I've been doing scoring of the defense on a play-by-play basis to, to judge who's on the field and how the inter that interactions of package and what the offense is trying to do, uh, uh, what results come out of that. All right, so my first question, before we dive into the X's and O's, you, you, just your overall thoughts on what you saw Sunday from that win over the Patriots. Okay, at the highest level, I'd say on defense, they did an absolutely masterful job of handling the no huddle. And that, that it's a conversation of its own that should be 15, 20 minutes in length. I can try and sum it up quickly for you, at the, I, but that's at the highest level. Uh, really did a great job. Even though Brady is very adept at running the no huddle on the road, they took care of it. I, on offense, I, I continue to be impressed with, they were able to, with the way they were able to sustain drives. Uh, the offensive line is playing well. Jackson is an enormous weapon personally, but he's also an enormous weapon of fear in terms of keeping the edge defenders uh, positioned. And they really made the Patriots look a little bit old and a little bit slow on defense, which is frankly what they are. They're a little bit old, a little bit slow. They've got great scheme and great coaching, but otherwise I, I, they're not a particularly athletic team. Yeah, I would, I would agree a lot of what you said. I was impressed with, with the offensive game plan, of, hey, we're going to come out, we're going to run the football, we're going to dare you to stop it because we don't think you can stop it. And that's basically what I thought they looked at the Patriots and said was, here's our run game, here's our game plan, we're going to run it down your throat, and you got to find a way to stop it. And we've seen it all year long, and it, it's continued to work for the Ravens. Defensively, I was impressed. They didn't get sacks of Brady, but you could see they had Brady 
having to move in the pocket. And when he Tom Brady has to move, he gets uncomfortable. I was a little concerned with the no the up tempo, and we'll get into the up tempo no huddle offense and what it did to the Ravens. But that was the only thing concerning. Other than that, I thought they had the right game plan to handle Tom Brady the entire day. Yeah, they had ten quarterback hits on Brady. So a few things come to mind about that. First of all. When's the last time Brady got hit 10 times, knocked down 10 times without a single flag? I doubt it's happened more than five times in his whole career. Not often you get knocked down 10 times. The Ravens have now out-QH'd their opponents 55-27 on the year. Obviously, they're not doing that with great individual pass rushers. They're doing that primarily with great scheme. And they're doing it with, you know, good offensive line play that has kept their number down. But... The 55 is in the top quartile, and the 27 is in the bottom quartile. It's exactly the relationship you want. Yeah, and and a lot of credit needs to go to the offensive line, and I give a lot of credit to Chris Collinsworth on Sunday night for pointing out just how physically dominant the Ravens' offensive line was, and I think that went kind of overlooked because we fell in love with Jackson and, and all the moves he was making, and then Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram in the run game. That offensive line handled what is a decent, not great, but decent defensive line. It's got some names in it. They took that defensive line and made it a non-factor the entire game. So that was really impressive to watch. Um, Let's dive into a little bit in the X's and O's. And I want to get into real fast the um, discussion on the – Defense, and let's start with the, the worry about the no huddle up tempo. In your eyes, what does what do you you're not as concerned about it, right? As maybe not I at am. all. <laughs> I'm not at all concerned. They they played it literally as well as any team could. So let me let me take you through it because what I'm seeing is I think you know you don't hear this from everybody. The, the Ravens basically chose a package that fit the Patriots personnel at the beginning of every drive. And that's what you have to do against the no huddle is get the right package against their personnel at the start of the drive. All right. Welcome back to the Ravens Brawl podcast, part of the Brawl Network. I'm Dave Stonewell, joined by Ken McCusick. And we were, we're diving into the Ravens defense against the New England Patriots and this up-tempo offense that the Ravens seem to have problems with Sunday. The Patriots got the majority of their points when they went up-tempo. I'm a little concerned about it. Ken, you don't seem to be as concerned about it. No, I'm, I'm really not concerned at all, Dave. Uh, look at a few things here. They, they scored 10 of their points off short fields off the two fumbles, one of special teams, one by Ingram. And, you know, those are points where you're going to make any quarterback into a great quarterback. Uh, Brady, of course, starts off a great quarterback uh, by putting them in great field position. So they, I'm not concerned at all about the drives that led to that. In fact, they had some good success, including a pass defense by Thomas at the goal line to stop drives and force a couple of field goals. So I was happy with that. Um, but let's talk about the no huddle specifically, because they decided after the first drive that they would go with it, and they pretty much stuck with it the entire game. What that effectively forced the Ravens to do was choose a package at the beginning of each drive that they would counter the Patriots personnel with. And they got to be right the first time and then stay with that the whole time. And so they did, They did uh, in each case, stay with the same package for an entire drive, except in two cases. There were, there were official stoppages where they made four separate mid-drive package changes. 
and there was one incomplete pass near the end of the game, a long ball to Ben Watson, uh, which fell incomplete, where they made a package change also uh, to, to bring in new personnel for third down. It's That's five changes they made total in package during the entire game. By comparison, they did it 24 times against Seattle the previous week. Now, I'm just talking about package, which means effectively in this game, the number of defensive backs on the field. Within those packages, they were still able to make meaningful substitutions by individual. So one-for-one substitutions they need to make on the defensive line, at inside linebacker, even at cornerback when they replaced Averitt, uh, uh, put in Averitt for Jimmy Smith a couple of times. Uh, They had their way with the Patriots in order to be able to change their personnel. By comparison, the Patriots, in order to maintain the no huddle, could not uh, substitute any personnel. So they might have been even playing a little more tired on some of these longer drives. And that really might have played a factor in some of these drives grinding to a halt. The other big thing the Ravens did, they moved Chuck Clark up to play dime instead of his usual strong safety role. Now, why does that matter? Well, Chuck Clark is the Ravens' defensive signal caller. The Patriots are playing extremely fast. The Ravens played 46 out of 65 snaps in the dime, only 19 snaps of nickel, zero snaps of base. And they played actually eight snaps of quarter. So it was 38 and eight in the, in the uh, diamond quarter packages. When they had the diamond quarter on, that meant Clark moves up into the box and he's centrally located to make a signal change and communicate that to all defenders. It was clearly part of the defensive game plan because they actually took away Levine's job, and he's one of the best specialists they have uh, for Clark to have that role. What that meant is the Ravens could quickly distribute a very complex set of blitz packages, kept that up. That led to a lot of the 10 quarterback hits, but it really negated a lot of the value of the no huddle that that Brady would normally have. So I thought they were masterful in doing it. I thought it was a fantastic defensive game plan. They obviously worked on two things. One is getting that defensive signal call in very quickly so they could call these complex blitzes. And the other was to make sure that the one-for-one personnel changes they could make could be made very quickly uh, when they had it because the, the, the Patriots were running these plays extremely quickly, play after play. I heard 22 seconds at one point was the average time between plays, which is remarkable. And some of that is Brady slow playing it at the line of scrimmage. They're just getting the line of scrimmage and Brady's, you know, making corrections and adjustments, but he's also requiring that the Ravens not make personnel changes at that point or, or making it difficult for the Ravens to do so. Yeah. And I thought, I thought the Patriots were selective when they went no huddle. I thought there were times where they realized they had Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce on the field at the same time. And I thought that's when they decided, okay, let's go up tempo. Let's take these big boys and make them have to to run up and down the field a little bit. Because you're right. They couldn't just come right out at the Ravens. They couldn't run the ball very well. And they couldn't pass protect. So it felt like that was the only way to neutralize it. So I agree with a lot of what you said. I thought they had an excellent game plan. And Ken, you've actually started to change me a little bit. Maybe I'm not as worried about the the up-tempo no huddle as as I was coming into this. But, I, I don't think even if they went back to New England in the playoffs and they faced the same kind of no huddle, I'd have no fear of it. I, I don't think they could run it any more effectively in New England than they ran it in Baltimore. I don't think the noise was a factor for Brady in this game. And I think the Ravens would be every bit as effective at moving their personnel off on and off the field to do the same things that they did in this game. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree because I think at the end of the day, what you saw between the two teams was quite simply the Ravens were the tougher, more physical team 
And that's going to win nine times out of ten in football. If you're tougher, more physical, it, it isn't going to matter. You're going to win that football game nine times out of ten because that's the game of football. So I agree with you. I don't think that's going to matter going forward. It's just going to be, hey, here we are. you got to stop us. So I want to I ask you about this offense a little bit because everybody's talked about how revolutionary and modernized this offense is. Is it that revolutionary and modernized to you, Ken, or is it – to me, it's a little old school. I mean, I guess you could you could call it either. There, there's really never been an, an offense that's that's looked like this, at least not in a, not in a very, very, very long time, not in my lifetime. Um, the, the Ravens have had now 15 starts from Lamar Jackson, and the Ravens during that time have rushed for 3,246 yards. That's you know obviously over 200 per game. But if you compare that to the NFL record for a 16-game season, that's only 3,165 by the 1978 Patriots. So the Ravens have actually had it by halftime in this last game. They had 155 rushing yards in the first half. Um, you know, what they do is they continually sell misdirection. If you go back to old-school offenses, they didn't have the kind of weapons that the Ravens have to sell misdirection. You know, if you... The seventy, the Bears of the seventies had Walter Payton, but they didn't have a bunch of other players around there to sell misdirection. Actually, Bob, Bobby Douglas and Walter Payton's career did overlap briefly in nineteen seventy five, seventy six. But but uh, it's not like they were a dynamic duo. It was all about Payton and how good he was at that point. Uh, it's just you know this combination of of uh, uh, Jackson with all of the other players that go with him uh, it really hasn't been seen before. Yeah, I, I I think a lot of it, and people talk about where it's so revolutionary, I think is all the motion stuff that you see the Ravens do pre-snap. And a lot of that is actually really basic fundamental concepts. It's trying to see, okay, is it man coverage? Is it zone? Is there somebody following? You're looking for the defense to adjust. But I think it's a very old school offense and, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run the football at you and – you as a defensive coordinator, you have to try to stop it. Um, but I think like you're talking about, I think where Lamar, Lamar Jackson's what makes this such a, a, a tough offense to defend because that's an extra element that takes it to the boundary that you have to stop. Yeah. They, I, I would just comment on that. They, they don't, I'm, I'm still hearing some echo here, by the way, but they, they don't actually tell you what they're going to do because they'll, they run counter more than any other team to where the flow of the pulling pulling players are, whether it's a guard or what you're seeing in tight end with the motion crashing into the middle of the line. It's very effective on that read option where they where they can either hand it off and, and have the run up the middle or even the runoff tackle and then have the other directional opportunity with Jackson to run into a, a different place. But they really don't tell you exactly what they're doing. They tell you they're going to run, but they don't, they don't show you where they're going to run. And that's why I think it's a lot different than than you know power eye formation follow the fullback type offenses that we've seen a lot in recent years. And even the look back to the 08 offense, which was a great running offense the Ravens had. They had a fullback who had a lot of rushing yards, and you know they also had another fullback on the team who was just a blocking back. And it was a team where you still could follow a fullback and understand where they're going with the football. Uh, this team, you got no idea. So it's that's what it's what makes the power run game so difficult to defend in the middle. What makes that 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 read option so uh, explosive is is the you know very complementary skill position players who can who can uh, 
put that ball just about anywhere they want. Yeah, so I want to ask you, you do a lot of film breakdowns. If you were to stop this Raven offense, how would you combat it? Because we've talked about it. We thought Bill Belichick would be the guy that would have the game plan, excuse me, to stop it, and he got ran over. If you were a D coordinator, how would you stop this offense? Oh, there's only been two teams that have been able to stop it so far, and that was the, the Kansas City Chiefs have done it twice in Kansas City, and they did it basically by getting ahead in the game and, and having their offense drive what Jackson then had to do to catch up in the game and, and pass more. Uh, Ravens are still very effective running the ball, in, in frankly, in both of those games. Uh, so I, I'm not sure the Chiefs really have the formula uh, the Ravens' defense it will be highly dependent on if they have to face the Chiefs again in the playoffs, so that'll be an interesting one. Um, in the case of, of uh, San Diego, they figured it out. And what they did is they put seven defensive backs on the field for 57 out of 58 or 56 out of 57. I forget the exact number of plays. Um, and, and that's just had not been seen before. And then they won the game up front with outstanding four-man line play and a number of mistakes by the Ravens, frankly, as well. I don't know that there's a team that's going to figure it out in the playoffs. And I had the question come up on Twitter today. We're going to do a film study short on it uh, to say what advantages will teams have the second time around against the Ravens? And it's just, it's not. A- Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's obvious to me anymore that the Ravens offense is, is much more faceted and dimensional than it was last season when the Chargers came back and gave a pretty good ass kick in the second time around. Yeah, I agree, because you have the added dimension in this offense of Lamar Jackson's passing ability is has improved from last year. So that that factors and you can't just sell out like the Chargers did and basically say, go ahead, Lamar Jackson, throw to beat us because we don't think you can. He can throw. I don't know if it's enough if you had to rely on Lamar Jackson to throw 30 to 40 times that he could do it. But I think. That's an extra element you have to worry about. And then you have Mark Ingram, who's a more dynamic Kenneth Dixon. Mm -hmm. So that factors in. There's a lot that you have to challenge. I'll be interested to see the Niner game, because I think if there's a team that can stop what we're doing, it would be the Niners because of how athletic that front four is. I really think that's where it starts. You have to have athletic defense alignment that can get get to their spot before the offensive line blocks get established. Outside of that, I don't know how else you can stop it. Yeah, they're, it's they're, just, go ahead. They, I, I just want to point out that I think I, I agree on the Niners that they're a team that, that uh, uh, has this very similar makeup to the Chargers of last year in terms of they, each of them has a Bosa, which is usually a, 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 a good <laughs> high card to start with. 
Um, you know, the Chargers with Ingram was had a really second outstanding lineman, and then they had some mediocre guys, frankly, Pylon and other people step up and have big games in that in you know in that particular day. Even though who was the they had a uh, a defensive lineman who lost a child or something. Oh. It was a, just an awful situation and couldn't play in the game. And, and I thought that was going to be a big advantage for the Ravens. Didn't turn out that way. That was uh, Brandon Mebane. Yeah. Yeah, big D tackle. But that's how I think you have to counteract this this Raven offense. And I hope that people aren't listening going, oh, we now got the blueprint to beat the Ravens. <laughs> but um, that's how I think you slow it down. You have to be faster than the Raven offensive line. Because when they start leaning on you in the third, fourth quarter, it's game over. You're just you're out of it. Oh, this is a team that has effectively two pulling players on every run play because they have a tight end in motion who's usually Boyle or a card as a very big body, and then they also usually pull a guard. Yeah. And you know when they when they do both of those things, that's just too much point of attack power for most off for most defenses, and. The Ravens aren't even sure that they'll run to that point of attack because they've always got the read option to fall back on. So, you know, you're, you're, you're having to do all these things to defend the read option, to defend the point of attack. It's just too much for most defenses to handle. And, and it'll be interesting to see. I mean, the, the, the Ravens lead the NFL in every meaningful per drive statistic and by a wide margin. So all of the things, points per game, points per play, yards per drive, plays per per drive, um, uh, I think I said points per, per game and per play, but it's, it's points per drive, um, time of possession per drive. Uh, they lead in everything. And and it's 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 systemic. It's Everybody's had the film now on Lamar Jackson. Everybody knows what the Ravens' offense more or less is. They don't know every facet of it in terms of what else can be done, but they know exactly how the read option works, and they haven't figured out a way to stop it. So yeah, these teams haven't played him a second time, but they're all dealing with the same film in terms of, of what they know about Lamar. Yeah, and, and I think that's a misconception among with teams is, oh, you got to wait till the second time. There's enough film that goes around in the NFL. You, you know, there isn't anything that the Ravens do on film or any team in football does on film that you haven't seen before. So the whole, oh, well, you just wait till the second time you see him. No, you have enough preparation. You're ready as a coach. It just comes down to executing, and the Patriots didn't execute. I want to ask you this before we move on to the Bengal game. Uh, there was some chatter today about the Raven offensive line, and there was a whole Twitter conversation about it. it, it do, we, do you think the Ravens need to improve their offensive line? And there was a lot of comments about uh, Skura and – Matt Skura and Bradley Bozeman not getting to the second level on linebackers. Is that that much of a concern to you? Or, or my, I, before, before you go, I think my thing is, like you're talking about, you have Nick Boyle, you have uh, the tight ends, and then you have Pat Ricard. They do the job of alignment, of getting to that second level. It, it, are you that overly concerned with Bradley Bozeman and Matt Skura? I, I, I'm not at all in terms of mobility in the run game. That would that would not be the area at all. It's pass blocking, which would be the bigger concern. So let's talk just this last game. But Bozeman has had a remarkable year in pulling. In fact, the thing he's done best is to help the power run game with his pulling. It was only 7 for 10 this last week. He was 13 of 14 on pulls against Seattle. Um, he regularly leads the team in level two blocks along with Skura. They had five and six to lead the team. Orlando Brown also had five in this game. 
but you know, Stanley had one and, and Yanda had two. The, I, I, I don't think that's true. I think the, the, the problem for Bozeman and, and the reason he's been kind of the weak link along the offensive line is he doesn't have the lateral quickness to pick up stunts and teams are taking advantage of that. So it's in the passing game that, that Bradley is the, is the weakness. It's not in the run game. And the same kind of goes for Skura. Now he's got to cover a portion of that left A-gap and the left A-gap has been targeted by opposing defensive coordinators who see this, this one weakness along the line. The other three guys, you could argue all of them could go to the Pro Bowl. I mean, Orlando Brown has really taken a step forward this year. He hasn't been absolutely consistent, but he's but he's been very good. Uh, and I, I don't think there'd be any question that Stanley and Yanda would right now be favorites to go to the Pro Bowl. So it's uh, it's really, you know, those two in the middle. I personally like Skura a lot more than almost any other Baltimorean, it seems. I think he's a guy that they may try and extend at the end of this season. Uh, potentially, there's, there's, there's kind of a uh, a reason why both sides might want to do it. And Bozeman is the real question mark. Is that you know what do they really have in reserve? They're not showing us. The practices are not open to the media this time of year, so I don't have any ability to look at that and and see you know offensive line drills or anything going on to see why the coaches might not be liking what they're seeing from Ben Powers. But I have to consider it kind of an indictment on his level of play and practice or his, in his practice that he's not been given a chance yet or that he's not even made the game day roster over Patrick McCarry. So I, I, I just, I, I have to wonder if they really do have an alternative to Bozeman at this point at left guard. Yeah, I think so. Because I, I, I think kind of along those lines, your other option, someone will say, well, James Hurst. Well, James Hurst had the opportunity. <laughs> I see you shaking your head. He had his chance and he didn't capitalize on it. And yeah, I think was, you're absolutely, go ahead. I, I was going to say he was good in 2017. He had a, he had a very solid year there. And I thought his agent should have made sure he was thought of as a guard and not a swing man because he's really a failed tackle uh, yes. in his, in his, in his time. And the Ravens don't want to see him there again. I'm sure they've kind of made the judgment and very much by example and by demonstration that they don't want him there at left guard again. He was terrible in the second half of last year, but I think he was also hurt. So some of it, you know, and his, uh, I tell people this, but I scored over a thousand individual games over the course of 12 years of doing offensive line uh, scoring. It's actually 14 now. And in that time, Hurst's performance in the playoffs against the Chargers was the single worst individual game I ever scored. <laughs> so it was, it came at a very bad time. And obviously it may have been due to this back injury being more serious than he was letting on. And, and I hope that's the case for him. But uh, I, I don't know if he'll get another chance in the NFL to, to, to play starter, to start again. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. We'll get you out of here after this. Let's talk about the Bengals. Second time around, Bengals still don't have a win. Game in Cincinnati. Ryan Finley making his first start. Ken, your big key on offense and on defense for the Ravens. Uh, on defense, I think pressure Finley is always a great opportunity with a, with a young quarterback and they've, the Ravens have a long history of doing that very well. So I think we'll see a lot of blitz scheming, challenging the, the Bengals to have Finley throw the ball into the teeth of their secondary and see if they can make some plays. Uh, that'd be defense on offense. I like, uh, continuing with the power run. Cincinnati's got a lot of problems against that. I don't know who's going to be playing last time. They were missing some key players, including Carlos Dunlap. Uh, if they're if they're as shorthanded as they were last time, then I don't think there's any reason to get away from the run in this game and, and really throw the ball any more than they did. 
Yeah, I agree. I think this is just this is like the Patriot game. It's turn around, hand the ball off, and just dare the Bengals to stop it because they they couldn't do it the first time. And like we were just talking about, it, yeah, okay, it's the second time. I don't think that matters. I, I really don't. They get tired of that excuse. Oh, it's the second time a team's faced this offense. At the end of the day, mano mano. Go ahead. I, I, I want to say, I think there's one thing I'd be concerned of is that the, the Bengals are coming off a bye and they, they have had a chance to scheme for something special. But I just think a lot of their effort is going to be going into just getting Ryan Finley up to speed and trying to make sure that, that he can accept a snap from center, drop back in the pocket with the normal <laughs> number of steps. You know, it's, it's a, it, it's a, a two week walkthrough for him. You know, there may be another factor involved too. And I don't know how much the Browns would be influencing this, meaning Mike Brown, uh, but the the Bengals have no interest in winning this game. No. I mean, they they do want to get uh, the number one overall pick. They're, they they talk about it in Cincinnati. The analysts do as well. And you know, a, a win here, I don't, I can't imagine that really changes the culture at all in Cincinnati. They they want the number one pick, and they rightfully so. Yeah, I I agree. I think when the Dolphins won, it opened the door for the Bengals to say, "Hey, first overall pick is ours." That's why we're not going to start Andy Dalton because Andy Dalton might win us that game. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at Ryan Finley trying to figure out, is he our quarterback in the future or are we in the Tua or Jake Fromm or Justin Herbert boat? Mm-hmm. So, Ken, I'll get you out of here on this. Give me a prediction for Sunday's game. I think it's closer than people expect, but the Ravens win it by six. Maybe another one of these 23-17 games where they still dominate the fourth quarter. Take it easy. Don't score that last touchdown. But that's kind of what I feel about it. Yeah, kind of like that first one where they probably are in control of the game. Bengals do just enough to be in it, but not enough to win the game. All right, Ken, thank you so much for coming on. I learned something. I'm a football coach, and you taught me something during this 20-some minutes. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You can hear them on 105.7 The Fan. You're a favorite, aren't you, over there, aren't you? Um, they're a film guy. I go, I do four segments a week and I, I really appreciate that opportunity. Thanks for having me on Dave. No problem. And we will be right back after this. Welcome back Ravens brawl podcast, part of the brawl network. I'm your host, Dave Stamwell. Please be joined by my other co-host, Joe Schiller. Joe, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Dave. Um, thanks to Ken for coming on earlier. I just listened to that of interview there and it was awesome you know he, he knows exactly what he's talking about such a great voice for the ravens community so i hope we can have him back on again especially when i'm around so <laughs> yeah we'll have we'll have ken on uh again in the future very knowledgeable guy like i told him i'm a football coach and i learned a little bit from him so very fascinating dive if you missed any of that you can go back and hear it in its entirety uh at any time that you want Part of the network, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us on that. And one more housekeeping item, let's talk about fanatics.com more so. You go to www. Make sure I get this ad read right or people are going to be really pissed that I sent them to the wrong link. But great site in fanatics.com they have all your sports needs and we have our own site dedicated to fanatics.com i can't up oh, here we go you can go to www.thebearsbrawl.com backslash fanatics and you can go visit there and they got all sorts of great deals and stuff online for you to purchase so go to 
www.thebearsbrawl.com backslash fanatics to get all your Bears Brawl and Brawl Network needs. So now that we got that out of the way, Joe, we we didn't get your thoughts on that Raven Patriot game. So why don't you tell me what you were what you felt after that? Sure. So I mean, it was a. I'm not sure you could have asked for a better outcome following Sunday, and I know I predicted a loss, but I was also on the record saying that this game could go either way. And through the first quarter, it looked like this game might have been a blowout. I mean, going up 17 nothing, and then you know, if Cyrus Jones doesn't fumble that punt, the Ravens might have gone up 24 nothing. and the you know, energy of that stadium would have been rocking more than it already was. I mean, shout-out first to just that – just the atmosphere at M&T Bank Stadium. I was down in Baltimore – you know, early Sunday morning, and, and you could really feel it. And that's not an exaggeration of how excited people were for this game. You know, the blackout Sunday night game. I haven't had a primetime game at home with this magnitude in a very long time. And, you know, to come out and win like that against the defending Super Bowl champions was awesome. It was a great win on both sides of the ball. I think you can give credit to both sides there. The offense had a great game. I think Ken touched a lot about it on the defense. They had such a good defense to that hurry-up offense. And, and were able to shut the Patriots down there, especially coming out of the second half when Tom Brady started to find some of his groove, and it looked like he was really picking apart the Ravens' defense um, to get that crucial turnover on Marlon Humphrey's fumble return. And then my biggest takeaway from this game was the offense sustaining those long drives in the second half. You know, I touched on a little bit when I was writing my late-for-work column for the Ravens on Monday morning, but you know, the Ravens had two 14-play drives of over eight minutes and over nine minutes. So if you think about that, you know, 15-minute quarter, 8, 9, 17 minutes, I mean, you're keeping the ball out of Tom Brady's hands for over a, a quarter. I mean, that is – I mean, your offense is your best defense in that regard. And those long drives were important too because the defense, like we just talked about, they were, you know, getting being picked apart by the, by the Patriots. And if you would have gone three and out on that following drive, you know, the defense is put right on the field, and great as it was to have Humphrey return that touchdown, it's almost bad because the defense was put right back on the field, and you're like, they were just gassed already. But when Jackson hit Mark Andrews on that third and five, little fade over top on the cover zero play, I mean, that that was just one. That was just such a great touch pass and a great catch by Andrews, and it sustained that drive. And to be able to end both those drives with touchdowns too, and to put away the game was great. Thought Lamar played well. Obviously, his legs, he was fantastic again. The passing numbers, once again, if you look at the box score, aren't going to be eye-popping. But we talk about that throw he made to Andrews and that fourth and four play to Willie Sneed where he rolled out there. They ran the pick play to get Sneed open. It just shows I mean, he's miles beyond his, his age in terms of poise in these big games. I don't think we talk enough about how the moment never seems to get to him. And all these big games just seem to perform. And, I mean, when you're going up against you know, arguably the best head coach and the best quarterback of all time to be the guy that everyone's talking about after that game is incredible and you hear him after in the post-game press conferences people are bringing up the thought of MVP and you know how great he is and how good he's going to become and and he could he could he could care less about that he just wants to win and I think that's very genuine that comes from him that's just not an act that he puts on I mean he is just a very genuine player that I think everyone in that organization really just gravitates to and you forget it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the 
the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That he's 22 years old doing that. On the defensive side of the ball, I thought they played the hurry up offense well. They got a lot of pressure on the pass rush. You wouldn't think that looking just right at the sack totals, but they got a lot of quarterback hits on Tom Brady. And we talked about it with Spencer Schultz from Baltimore Beatdown in our preview that if you can get to a quarterback who's 42 years old in the pocket, he's not going to be the guy that's trying to get out of there and making plays. I mean, you, you saw him just fold up and take some of those hits. And Matthew Judon's hit on him, that force, that overthrow, and the interception to Earl Thomas was in a really game-changing play in that to stall that drive. So I thought overall the entire defense played well. And then got to give credit to the offensive line, too. Those guys up front were punishing there on the Patriots' defense, just opening up running lanes for Gus Edwards and Mark Ingram. And the Ravens had such a good game plan going, using some of those option plays to – you know, get Lamar there and then pitched out to Mark Ingram when he had those running lanes. So overall, I think it was a great performance. You definitely take away so many more positives and negatives. But looking forward ahead, they have a gauntlet of some very hard games coming up. I'm not sure you point to Cincinnati as that, but this will be the first team that they played this year that's seen the offense twice. So I'll be very interested to see how that pans out. And I'm sure we'll get to it when we preview the game in a minute. You know, you've got the Texans, the 49ers, the Rams, and the Bills. I mean, that's four teams who are all considered playoff teams. We're close to it at the moment. They've got this gauntlet of teams coming up where it's really going to define the second half of the schedule, but I don't know how you don't consider them into the top two teams in the AFC and you know one of the contenders for the Super Bowl. I thought that you could put them in that conversation after the Seahawks, but I think this solidifies it for those people who doubted it, that this is a team that's going to compete right now. And at 6-2, and two, it's really hard to deny that after that win. I touched on a lot of the stuff already with Ken, but a couple things that you talked about that I'm, I want to highlight. That third down play, I know we give a lot of credit to Lamar Jackson, and it was a great throw. It was it was understanding where you needed to put the football to complete the pass. But the underrated part of that play that you didn't bring up, and I think gets overlooked because we look at how great that pass was, Mark Andrews' understanding of the situation and understanding what the coverage was makes all the difference in that play. If he doesn't know it's cover zero and he doesn't know his man-to-man coverage, with a blitz coming, he isn't snapping his head around as fast as he did. He understood, okay, this ball is going to come out quickly. I need to beat my guy, and I need to turn around because that ball is coming, and you saw him do that. And that that's an underrated part of that play to see a guy understand this scenario, understand the importance of I need to get my head around and be ready because that ball is coming out faster than I expected to. That's such an underrated part of – of that whole play that gets overlooked. But Mark Andrews's understanding of that situation helped make that play because Jackson had to get rid of that ball at that moment. He couldn't wait another second. There was two guys coming off the edge. Both were unblocked. He had to get rid of it. So for Mark Andrews to know that and know as soon as I get free, I got to turn my head around and be ready to catch that football it is such an underrated and undervalued part of that play. That, like you said, and I agree with you, I think that was the turning point in the game. I watched it, saw him complete the pass, and I said, it's over. Patriots are not going to win this football game because this is – the Ravens are 
sustaining a drive. And they hadn't really done that in prior games at times, but they did that well Sunday. So a lot of credit uh, there. The offensive line, uh, Ken and I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I want to kind of elaborate on it. Um, it, It's that they're so good. Now, they're not a great pass-blocking offensive line. That's very noticeable. And I think a lot of that gets covered by Lamar Jackson and his escapability. Absolutely, yeah. But they are a great, great run-blocking offensive line. And, and, and we touched on, I touched on it with Ken because I've seen people complaining about Bozeman and Skura. They're not finesse offensive linemen. There are two types of linemen you can get in, in football. You can get the masher mauler, which is your Marshall Yonda, Richie Incognitos, and those kind of linemen that they're just going to line up and they're just going to bash you for four quarters. You see the paint chipped on the helmet a little bit. Because they don't care. They're going to line up against you, and they're going to mash you for four quarters. And then you got finesse linemen, which are more for the teams that are used to passing, that are more technical, have more more plays in their toolbox, maybe a little faster, can pull better, uh, drop steps are a little neater, all that sort of stuff. That's not this Raven offensive line. And I think we, we forget that, that this is a mauling type of offensive line. The only guy really on the offensive line that isn't is Ronnie Stanley. He's he he's kind of a tweener between the two, but everybody else is this mashing, mauler type of offensive line, and that's why this offense is so effective because they just lean on you and lean on you and lean on you. And in the third and fourth quarter, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and, and Lamar Jackson running the football start wearing on the defense because they're getting worn out, they're getting beat up, and, and all that stuff. So that is such an underrated part of this offensive line that I don't think gets enough credit, and that's where they get hindered in the passing game is everybody goes, oh, my God, Bradley Bozeman and Matt Scarra look awful. That's, they're not the type of linemen that are going to look great dropping back in, in pass protection because pass protection is more of a finesse type of blocking as opposed to run blocking, especially in the Raven offensive run blocking where it's like, hey, buddy, here we come. you got to stop us one way or the other. It looks like Marshall Yonda is just rejuvenated. I know he signed that two-year deal, and you know, there was talk that he was potentially contemplating retirement, but you saw the, I don't know if you saw the video of him you know, bear-hugging Eric DaCosta and picking yes. him up I mean, after the game. I mean, he looks just, just so happy to be there and just looks like, a, like he's in his prime again. I mean, I saw a couple film plays of him just reaching around up to the second level and, you know, it is truly underrated of how great of a player and consistent he's been over the course of his career. Uh, if you're not, you know, a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'm not sure you really do realize that because the offensive line, you know, position being how it is. But I agree with you, and I think Ronnie Stanley has some mean streaks to him. But I believe I, I agree with you. He is, you know, a little more of a tweener in that aspect. But man, he has solidified that left tackle position. He's a guy that could, you know, earning himself a big contract going forward, hopefully in Baltimore. All right, soapbox number one, he needs to be franchised. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it right now. I know people are going to boo-hoo me for saying it. You need to franchise him. You do not let premier left tackles, blindside tackles, in the prime of their career walk away. I'm sorry. You don't do that. You bite the bullet. You, you put them under the franchise tag. I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today. The state of offensive line play is god-awful in the NFL. And name every bad team that's going to have cap space. They all need help with the offensive line. You put a 26-year-old left tackle 
that grades out well analytically and in game tape out on the open market, the Ravens are going to lose a bidding war because somebody will back up a Brinks truck and say, Ronnie, go in and grab as many bags as you would like because we need you to be our left tackle. They did it with Ryan Jensen after one season. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know how the free agent market is. And, yeah, I'll have to take a look into it. I mean, but I'm sure they've had conversations about potentially, you know, signing a long-term extension. He's at that point. And it looks like the, I was looking at the franchise tag um, for offensive linemen in 2019. It was uh, at $14 million. And I think I don't know if there's a price for a left tackle as consistent as he's been, especially, you know, backing up your franchise quarterback, too. And just – Another note, something I wanted to touch on from the game, just an observation from the Patriots side. It looked like they really miss Rob Gronkowski. When you watch them get into oh the, to the red zone, they just don't have that guy, that go-to guy there. I mean, James White is one of their primary receivers out of the back. He is small. Edelman is a you know small receiver. So they traded for Snoo, and he's really that guy who's taken over a little bit of that role. And you saw Tom Brady targeting him a lot. You get rid of Josh Gordon, he had kind of that role too, but – Ben Watson is not Rob Gronkowski. There's not another tight end that really can compare to Rob Gronkowski. And I think once they got into the the red zone a couple of times and stalled for field goals, that made the difference there. Tom Brady just did not have that guy who's a mismatch for linebackers and opposing defensive backs that can do that. And I and that could hurt them going forward. You know, there were twice when the Ravens were able to hold them to field goals, and that is a big difference in, in the game, especially against a team like that, where you have to be scoring touchdowns and you need to be limiting them to field goals. I think the Patriots miss them a lot. And and something else to note, the Patriot offensive line is really bad. They couldn't run the football. And they haven't really, if you're watching them Patriot games, they haven't been able to do it, run the ball well this year. I mean, Sonny Michelle had a great year last year, and I think that's what you got to remember with the Patriots. They got to the Super Bowl because of the run game. They went into Kansas City and marched the ball down the field, running the football, and in overtime and winning games, running the football. They can't run the football this year because of all the issues on the offensive line. So without Rob Gronkowski, then without James Devlin, who James Devlin is the equivalent of Patrick Ricard to the New England Patriots. He's just, he opens up running lanes and he can get blocks at that second level. They don't have that. They don't have a Gronkowski, so... There's nobody to threaten you over the middle in the ends in the red zone. You're not afraid of Julian Edelman because you'll just put five guys on him and you can man up everybody else. So they couldn't run the football. So that really took them and forced them to have to throw. And then like you're talking about without a Rob Gronkowski, it, it, it becomes easier to defend that offense and Patriots have some problems. Now, I think defensively they got problems because I don't think they're a great run-stopping defense. Their secondary is good. I'm not taking that away from them. But their run defense is is not good. I mean, Nick Chubb, we talked about it last week. He ran all over the Patriots, except he couldn't hold on to the football, and Cleveland sucks. But he had over 100 yards, and then, of course, the Ravens just gashed them. And the, the thing that the thing that was so surprising about that from the Patriots side, and I know there's a Raven podcast, but this is my big takeaway, was I don't want to say how dumbfounded, but how much scrambling there was on that Patriots sideline. And like Ken and I were talking, there isn't really anything that this Raven offense does that is super revolutionary, super out of this world, and everybody's like, oh my God, it's such a modern offense. Whoa, they changed it. It's not that. At the end of the day, it's basically power-on-power football. Now, there's a lot of motion and gimmick stuff to distract you, 
But at the end of the day, this is just power football. And I think what the Patriots realize is they don't have the size defensively to take on a team that's just going to turn around and run the ball 30 times in a game and be able to stop it. So that'll be something to watch going forward. Now, the benefit is for New England, they don't really play another team like us that is so run heavy until the Cowboys. But that'll be something to watch to see what adjustments Bill Belichick will make going forward to stop that because they are not a very good run defensive team. They got mashed over and over again by the Baltimore Ravens. There's a good chance these two teams could see each other in the playoffs. Uh, There was a lot of conversation that came out after this game. And I'll be interested to see, you know, Bill Belichick finally sees and plays Lamar Jackson in person. You know, how does he make adjustments and how does the entire team, you know, adjust to what Jackson does? And I agree with you that, you know, this offense isn't gimmicky. I mean, it's it's an offense that Greg Roman had success with Colin Kaepernick and you know some other mobile quarterbacks throughout his coaching tenure. But there's just not another player like Jackson that, and I think that's what really defines this offense. You have a guy who's the most athletic player on the field, I think, no matter what matchup he plays in the NFL. And we saw it when he made that move on Kyle Van Noy and a couple other plays where you think you have him and he just finds a way to get out. It's, it's incredible to watch. And, you know, it's one thing to watch it on TV, but to be in person and watch him like that, it is really, truly something else. And he just brings that different dynamic that defenders just can't stop. I mean, I could make a highlight reel of every week of a defender that he's either put on skates or, or put on their ass. I mean, he is just that athletic of a quarterback. And argue what you want about how sustainable it is or, you know, how gimmicky the Ravens offense is, but it's not like you said, it's a power concept and they are running the ball down people's throats and they are going to become potentially become the first team to average 200 yards rushing and 200 yards passing in a single season. And they're making strides. And so far they haven't met a team that can truly stop that. And if they get into the postseason, I, I and many other people will be very interested to see how that fares. All right. So I, I told you before before we started taping, I wanted to get on a soapbox about something that, that has annoyed me all week. And, and I think it's probably one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. It, people are trying to make the claim, and, and part of it to discredit the Ravens win. We Everybody does that. Baltimore's not well-liked in the national media. We know all this stuff. This is not new news to us. But to the people that are trying to say, oh, Bill Belichick was didn't show all of his amu, didn't show all of his cards, and he's saving up for the second time he plays the Ravens and he'll throw something at them that they haven't seen. I'm, I'm going to tell you this right now. That's bullshit, Joe. Don't believe that. And anybody that listens to that, Joe, don't believe it. You're an NFL coach. You're paid to win football games. You do whatever you have to do to win games. Hell, I'd do it down at the high school level. You do whatever you can in that game to win a game. No matter no matter what it costs you, no matter what you have to show, at the end of the day, you have to win the football game. That's what you're paid to do. So do not feed me this line that Bill Belichick is playing some long-form game with the Ravens and he didn't show everything and, and all that bullshit. It, no. Stop it. Save it. If Bill Belichick's really thinking about that, he should have just kept the team in New England and said, you know what, we're not going to play you this weekend. That's the way you got people have been talking. It's the stupidest take. It's the laziest damn take I've heard to, uh, to just 
come out and say the Ravens just smashed the Patriots. That's all that happened. They came out, they beat the crap out of them, and Belichick had no answer. Do not tell me this line and do not feed me this crap that, oh, he's saving up for the second time around. Guess what? There's enough film. You're going to be able to figure it out. And at the end of the day, power football, if you won't have the size, you're not stopping power football. So I got, I've been real annoyed with that whole Bill Belichick saving up stuff. He wasn't saving up. If he was saving up, he wouldn't have been freaking out on the sideline and getting in the defensive huddles and yelling at everybody. He'd have been calm, cool, and collected. And he, we've seen him be calmer in losses than he was Sunday night. So don't feed me that line. And I'm getting real sick and tired of seeing it as a way to discredit the Raven win. Oh, Belichick was saving up. Bullshit. You don't save up as a coach. If you do, you might as well put in your damn resume and go find another job. Because you're not making it as a coach if you're trying to play a long game with a team you're not sure of. And the other thing is, this is a Patriot team that probably needs to win every game because if they have to go on the road in the postseason, they're not going to win a Super Bowl this year. They're just not that good of a team, especially away from Foxborough. So again, how can you sit there and logically tell me that Belichick was saving something? I don't get it, Joe. I don't. I don't, I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. I'm off my soapbox. I love the fire, Dave. I love this. We need this every week, this kind of <laughs> fire coming in, this kind of soap opera. I- With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I love it. And I agree with you. I don't, I'm not going to say anything else because you hit the nail on the head. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, for them to question – like we talked about the best coach, the greatest coach for him, for anyone, like especially him to do something like that. It's just ridiculous. I don't have anything more that, you know, that you touched on, but I agree. And they did the same thing about the Ravens trying to take a team photo after the game, even though they do that every single game, no matter who they play Dolphins, Patriots, doesn't matter, but that's a story for a different day. They have another game divisional matchup coming this Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals team that they beat already this season. Want to touch on it real quick. We'll, you know, preview this game dave you know what are your kind of keys to the game here are some players you're looking forward to matching up and watching uh, aj green is back i did see a report today that he is kind of iffy um told reporters they didn't think he was feeling too well and then i think zach taylor said he's day-to-day um so i think his status for the game is up in the air but the ravens will face a rookie quarterback and ryan finley after andy dalton was benched this is a team that i will never take for granted because this is a divisional opponent they always seem to play the ravens tough the Ravens haven't fared well in Cincinnati. That was over the course of Joe Flacco's career, and they've had a lot of bad losses there. So they still have weapons. I know this is a team that's at the bottom barrel fighting for a number one overall draft pick, but as cliche as it is to say, 
with divisional games, you can just throw the record out the window. I think you can say that to a point here with the fact that these teams know each other so well. But Dave, kind of what are you looking forward to this game in? What players are you watching and, and what are your kind of keys to the Ravens here? So my, my thing is I'm watching the injury report and not for A.J. Green, but for the defensive line of the Cincinnati Bengals, because Ken and I touched on it earlier. I really think the only way you can stop this Raven offense is with fast athletic defense alignment. Because you have to beat the you have to beat the offensive linemen to their spot and get penetration, and it's hard to do. We haven't seen teams do it outside of the Chargers last year. Why did the Chargers do it last year? Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, two guys that are quick off the ball. They got penetration and they took the Ravens out of the run game. So the, the Bengals have D linemen like that, and they didn't play in the first matchup. So. I'm kind of curious to see Carlos Dunlap and some of those guys, whether they're going to be able to play in this game because they can slow down. I mean, let's be honest. When the Bengals were good, they were problems. They're still going to be problems even though the Bengals haven't won a game. So that's what I'm looking because those are they, – they're tough. Atkins, Dunlap, uh, Hubbard, they they make it hard for you to get get where you're trying to go as an offensive lineman. So that'll be – the, the interesting thing to see, because I think if that happens, they can slow down. I don't think you're going to stop this Raven offense, because, again, this is where Greg Roman needs to just say, hell's bells, I'm turning around, and we're going to feed Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards as much as we can and, and get the run game established so in the second half that we can take those D linemen out of the game and they get the tired legs. Offensively, uh, for the Bengals, this is a brutal matchup for them i mean i don't know why i truly think they're in full-on tank mode why would you start a rookie quarterback this week against this defense because i think that if there's a recipe to beat the raven defense i think it is to catch them when they got brandon williams and michael pierce on the field and go to that up-tempo offense where it's harder to substitute for those guys and you wear them down a little bit because outside of aj green the skill position players for the Bengals have been very lackluster this year. Tyler Eifert hasn't really emerged as much as we thought he would coming back from injury. So it's hard, and you don't want to put a rookie quarterback in a situation, especially a guy in Ryan Finley, that this is going to be his first start in having to play that up-tempo offense. But they, they, might, they might have to. I don't know how else they're going to move the football. I really don't. Because they're going to, Joe Mixon's going to be a non-factor with the way the Ravens play run defense. I just it's going to be tough sledding for Ryan Finley. Now they'll keep it close. They will do enough, like every Raven Bengal game, to make it close. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you this much: if Andy Dalton was a quarterback, Joe, I would say we need to be careful of the letdown because he would be able to get that offense into that up-tempo. And if you remember, that's what they did a lot in the in the first game at home, and that's how that game ended up being 23-17, uh, a final score, was they started to go a little up-tempo, and they, start, they found Maurice Kennedy, who got torched like a Roman candle in that, in that game, and they started to go up-tempo a little bit, and it kind of took the Raven defense back. Now, Ken's not as worried about it. He's kind of convinced me not to be as worried. But if they get in a situation where they hit a play, and it, it, it really, to get up tempo, it only takes a 5- to 10-yard play to say, okay, let's go. We got a little momentum. We get, we're moving forward. 
So that that's going to be the thing. And I truly, if you're Cincinnati, that's the only way I think you move the football on this Raven defense. I just, I don't know how else you're going to do it if you don't have A.J. Green. And even if you have A.J. Green, he's going to have Marlon Humphrey on him, and it's going to be a long day. All right, so what do you got for a score prediction? I'm going to take Ravens 24-20. I think it's a game, much like the first one, the Ravens dominate, but I think it's going to be one of those games that at the end of the day, you're going to look up and the Ravens are going to be in a one-score game in the fourth quarter, and it isn't going to surprise you. But just, I, I just, I, Ryan Finley, I mean, Joe, you probably remember him. I remember watching him at NC State. He wasn't a guy that wowed you particularly. He was probably the most, more most pocket uh, quarterback in the draft class last year, but he just there's just he's a nice quarterback, serviceable, and I know why the Bengals are doing it because you got to figure out whether you need to go get Tua next year or not. But this kid is set up for failure. I, I just don't know how he's going to be successful if he doesn't have AJ Green out there on the outside. Yeah, if I'm uh, Wink Martindale, I'm liking my chops going up against Ryan Finley this week. Um, the Ravens statistically have a very good track record against rookie quarterbacks. I forget what the metric is, but John Harbaugh has won a lot of games against those guys. And I would just be very interested to see, you know, how this run game fares compared to the first time that they did because that was a game, you know, Jackson passed for 236 yards, also ran for 19 carries for 152 yards and a touchdown. I wonder if they use that momentum with Mark Ingram, what he had against the Patriots to keep continuing that and obviously add more of Gus Edwards and Justice Hill there. And I'm, I hope to see, you know, Marquise Brown back in stride. I think, you know, it was good to see him in spurts against the Patriots coming off that ankle injury after missing two games. He just brings a different speed to this offense that just opens up the rest of it. We saw it when they hit him in that shovel pass early in the game and a little bit later in the game where he just can make defenders miss and really run past and stretch out that defense. It'd be interesting to see him matched up against that Bengals secondary. And then like you talked about a little bit, how this passing game fares for the for the Bengals, whether, you know, is AJ Green playing Tyler Boyd, Alden Tate, Alex Erickson, how they kind of match up. I mean, it is a very underwhelming you know, wide receiver group when you put it together with how they perform this year. And Joe Mixon, I mean, when they played last game, last time, had eight carries for 10 yards. He's had a very underwhelming season as well. I think this is, the Ravens, this is a game the Ravens should win handily. The feeling I've gotten from seeing what reporters have had to say and just the mood around the castle seems like they, they know that this is a potential kind of trap game. They haven't treated it like they're coming off a high off the Patriots game. Obviously, you're happy you won that game, but I think the mood is that, you know, right back to business, especially with the schedule they have coming up. You can't afford to lose this game out of all of them. I think the Ravens can get themselves in a position, get to them, get to the Bengals early. And you know, this is the first play of the game last last time they played was was a kickoff return for a touchdown. That kind of set the tone for it being a close game. I think they can clean up some special team stuff, get to Ryan Finley early, and put this game away. I might I have them winning thirty one to fourteen. I do feel confident that they can you know win this game handily, especially you know seeing what we saw against the Patriots and the run game that they bring here. And I just am very interested to see how. Wink Martindale will scheme the defensive pressure on Ryan Finley, and this could be a game where if it works out well that he could be turning over the ball a lot. And if I would not want to be in Finley's position going up against a defense that just throws so many looks at you, you know, defensively through you know, the secondary blitzing guys like Earl Thomas or Marlon Humphrey or you know, up front with Matthew Judon you know, coming down you on, 
on the edge. So I think Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams are going to be big just to stop that run game. And if the Bengals can't run the ball and Ryan Finley's forced to pass throughout this entire game, yikes, because that's going to be ugly. So I think I have the Ravens winning pretty handily here. This could be a big game for Mark Andrews, again, following that, following a big performance last time they played. So that's my prediction. And I think I'm not sure there's going to be anyone picking the Bengals to win this game. I think if we look at the predictions across the board on Friday going into the weekend, it's going to be all Ravens 100%. And I think that's that's the standard given, you know, how terrible the Bengals have been this year and then you know, the expectations that the Ravens have. I must say this. Watch if A.J. Green is healthy and can go Sunday. I bet you Don Martindale's a little hesitant at first to blitz. I think I think what he'll end up doing is he'll probably only rush three or four and force Ryan Finley to have to read the coverage on the back end just because when A.J. Green is there, it makes Tyler Boyd better. It makes Audrey Tate better. I mean, guys are going to be open more. They're going to get more favorable matchups. Now, we have three really good corners, so that also factors into it. But don't be surprised if they're not as aggressive if A.J. Green is there because A.J. Green, I mean, we all remember the game last year in Cincinnati, three touchdowns in the first half. That's the sort of thing that should worry you if you're Don Martindale. So I wouldn't be shocked if A.J. Green is healthy. Keep an eye on this. This is my key to the game. If A.J. Green's healthy early on in the game, they will just sit back, rush for, and play coverage and dare Ryan Finley to have to throw into some windows that are not going to be wide open because if they blitz and they don't get there, Tyler Boyd may be open, A.J. Green and Audrey Tate, John Ross. I mean, these are guys that are going to take the top off your defense very quickly. So they may play a little more conservative to try to not give up the big play. Uh, And then offensively, Greg Roman needs to just come out and pound the football because I think you saw it with the Patriots. They did everything they could to slow down Lamar Jackson and, in reality, they did. He only had 70 yards rushing, which is crazy to say. A quarterback only having 70 yards rushing is a down day. But they're going to sell out to stop Lamar Jackson and take away the boundary. So you got to turn and you got to feed Ingram and you got to feed Edwards. As that just opens up the rest of your run game. And with those big bruisers on that O line, they will just wear down the Cincinnati Bengals defense. My key to the game is going to be who's spying Lamar Jackson, whether that's a linebacker or a defensive back, because when you commit a defensive player solely to the quarterback, you're essentially taking him out, you know, away from the rest of the defense. You're saying, hey, your primary job is to shadow this guy, to spy on this guy. If you go where he goes, and I don't know if we've if we've seen a player that's been able to kind of match up with Lamar Jackson like that, and I'm interested to see how. Greg Roman takes advantage of that, whether it's the passing game or the run game, depending on who the Bengals have there, to see how he can use that to his advantage. Because you know, with Jackson's speed and to be able to get away from a spy like that, then you're playing a little bit of 11 on 10, depending on the play. So I'll be interested to see how that fairs out. And I agree with you completely that this is a game the Ravens should just come out and pound the ball, and they can put this away early. I mean, you could, we could, get, I would not be surprised if we get into, you know, coming at halftime in the third quarter. I mean, they put that game away early against a rookie quarterback. That's the recipe for success there, and this is the game the Ravens should win. There's no question about it. I agree. Last comment I'll make before we wrap up the show, to your point about Lamar Jackson, the Patriots didn't put a spy on him. That's the first time I, I, I haven't seen a team put a spy on him. 
And I think they had the right approach when it came to the passing game. You, you got to sit back and play a zone coverage and force them to have to throw in those windows. That way, see, teams will play man-to-man coverage because they'll sell out to stop the run. Well, what that does is that takes your secondary guys and your cover guys. They're not watching Lamar Jackson. They're watching the receiver or whoever they're covering. So I think the, I think what, what you'll see is I doubt there are going to be teams that will commit to having a spy on Lamar Jackson because of what you're talking about. I think it's more likely you're going to see more zone coverage in the passing game where guys have eyes in the backfield as opposed to eyes on their target. That way they can see Lamar Jackson, and instead of having one guy for Jackson, you're going to have a couple guys in their zones waiting for Jackson to come up and make the play. So that's I think that's going to be the change you're going to see defensively teams try to make is not put a spy on them, just sit back in zone coverage and make him have to throw in some tighter windows. Just reading the postgame uh, transcripts real quick, Lamar did say a little bit, um, I don't – I didn't watch the film on the on the against the Patriots, so I'm not going to speak like I did. Um, but he did say that that I think there was a spy defender it was either Jonathan Jones or Dante Hightower. Now I'm not sure how often they did that for, but it is interesting to see that if they you know had a couple spies, it wasn't mixed between a defensive back and a linebacker. And I think it maybe is a case by case basis on who they face going forward. You know how athletic a defense is, depending on who they want to put it on there. But it is interesting to see how teams are. I don't think you usually have a defensive back spying a quarterback. Usually as a linebacker, I believe that typically will spy it. But when you got a guy that's a little bit different when it comes to athletic ability, then you kind of mix and match. So it will be interesting to see going forward um, and how the, how the Bengals play this. And, you know, like I said before a little bit earlier, that they're the, they're the first team to face the Ravens in this new offense, quote-unquote, this season. Will there be any changes in – you know, will the Ravens struggle against anything? You know, that the Bengals already have a full game of film on them. I think it's time to get us out of here before we go. We're going to send you to another website. Go to www.thebearsbrawl.com backslash StubHub. We got deals for you. You want to go to a concert? You want to go to a ball game? I mean, basketball season in full swing. Hockey's in full swing. Of course, you got football. You got college. You got pros. You want to go to an event, go to www.thebearsbrawl.com backslash StubHub for all your tickets for any event you are looking for. So that's going to do it for us. Our thanks to Ken McCusick of Film Study Baltimore. Joe, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about the Bengals game, and then we'll look ahead to what will be another big matchup against the Houston Texans at home in Baltimore. Absolutely. Hopefully we're talking about a Ravens win going in next week. <laughs> All right, let's, so I'll put the cart before the horse now. Let's yeah, it will be an interesting podcast if they don't then. We'll just put it that way. Well, yeah. Yeah, it'll be a tra- classic letdown game. All right, so that's going to do it for us. For Joe Schiller, I'm Dave Stonewell. Enjoy the Ravens-Bengal game, and we will talk to you all next week.